it's time to meet up and catch up at the Weekend Water Cooler. Now, here's your host, Gene Bolduck. Okay, welcome, welcome to the Weekend Water Cooler. I am Gene Bolduck, your host. My guest today is the one, the only, the almost not at all, uh, Neil Offen, my old boss from the Chapel Hill Herald way back when, just testing your memories there. Uh, Neil uh, has joined us today at, at, you know, it's quite a path to the weekend water cooler for Neil. Neil, welcome to the program. We're so happy to have you on every possible level. I am so happy to be here, Jean. I should say I'm really happy to be anywhere, but particularly here. <laughs> so, so we were going to record, I don't know what it was, a week ago or something. And and Neil, um, you know, and I sent Neil a, a confirmation email, which I often do say, hey, you know, is tomorrow still good? And Neil said, well, actually, maybe let's go ahead and reschedule because I'm not yet discharged from the hospital, which is not a cancellation thing that I get every day, I'll just say. Um, so Neil went to the trouble of having a great big heart attack right before New Year's. By the way, let me just mention, it's usually considered a bad idea to have a major medical event right for a holiday weekend. I say this as someone who had appendicitis Memorial weekend. <laughs> it's hard to get any attention, you know, but you know, when it's your heart and, uh, uh, Neil's wife, Carol, was uh, clever enough to get him to the hospital, despite his saying, wait, I have to change my pants. What's with your pants, man? What was going to well, happen yeah. with your pants? I mean, you want to be appropriately dressed for the emergency room. And at, at the moment when I was debating which pants to wear, um, I was having severe chest pains. But I still thought, you know, um, those aren't the right but my pants. pants. Yeah. You know, never, you know, <laughs> um, never wear lady. It was early in the morning. So um, I was still in pajamas. Oh, never wow. wear if you're a grown up, if you're my age, lady in the tramp pajamas to the emergency room. It's, well, it's a see, rule of thumb. Okay. This explains a lot. Yeah. Um, that's a good point because, you know, I think if you ask any cardiologist, even the greatest cardiologist in the tri-state area, which is Michael Young, let's just say it, Absolutely. at UNC hospitals, we all love him because, you know, several of us owe a life to him. Um, <clears throat> uh, he doesn't care what your clothes are. He's probably going to cut them off of you anyway. <laughs> well, I didn't, wanna, I didn't want to lose those lady in the tramp pajamas. <laughs> Those those must have been some pretty great pajamas. They, they and now, and, and they still fit. You can still wear them now because uh, partly because you're still alive now. So you went in, had a great big heart attack, um, got there within minutes of um uh being on the wrong side of it. And uh they got you in the cardiac cath lab at UNC and uh did what they do in there, which is like always a miracle as we've been talking about, you know, Neil and I have known each other for a very long time. And so we had to talk for about two hours before we started <laughs> recording so we could catch up. Um, our children were little baby children together. So it's a very, you know, and now they're, now they're old. Now, now they're, they're approaching middle age, which is which very is rude. remarkable because we're still the same age. Because we have not aged. That's exactly right. It's a scientific fact. 
Um, so, so, you know, they, they pulled off the miracle and, um, and so tell us, tell us about, tell us what you want us to know, Neil, about your experience. And then we're going to talk about your newly released book, which is the reason you were going to come on the show, uh, Building a Better Boomer. So we're going to, we're going to talk about this book for the rest of the show. But first, let's talk about how you, how you got, how was your New Year's? How was my New Year's? You know, um, I said to my wife, Carol, after I came home, that um, we've had some pretty bad bad New Year's Eves. Uh, we got stuck in a blizzard once. Oh. We watched, one time, we watched the worst movie ever, um, whose name I won't mention. Oh. Another, another time, our car broke down in northern Italy, and we had to be towed a hundred miles to our house in southern France. So we've had some pretty bad New Year's Eve, New Year's Eves. I told Carol, I think this one tops them all. Um, so yeah, the day before New Year's Eve, um, I had severe chest pains. Um, I thought it would go away. I thought it was heartburn. Um, I took some Tums. Um, the Tums didn't work. Um, the heartburn symptoms, which is to say the chest pains, got worse and worse. I was sweating. I was nauseous. Um, I didn't want to go into an ambulance, didn't want my wife to call an ambulance. Um, but my wife is pretty much as stubborn as I am. And she insisted that we go to the emergency room. She drove me there. I got out. I refused a wheelchair. I walked over to the triage nurse and she said, what brings you here? I said, severe chest pains. And those are the key words. Those are the words where almost immediately upon hearing them, I was put on a gurney, whisked down halls, into an elevator, past whooshing doors and into the cath lab. And I was sedated, but sort of in and out of sleep right, right. for what I thought was 20 or 25 minutes. It turned out, I found out later, it was actually two hours. Um, I was told later uh, by our um, friendly cardiologist, Dr. Michael Young, that um, I had had the, the Widowmaker. Um, a massive, massive, massive heart attack. Um, the artery was 100% closed. Um, I was essentially dead on the table until they shocked my heart five times, until they did CPR for two minutes. Um, and as you can tell by my actually being on your show, Gene, <laughs> it, it worked. Um, yes. I was in the hospital for four nights. I was discharged uh, on the Tuesday after New Year's Day. Um, and um, and I'm breathing and living and walking and eating and talking probably too much. And, Not at all. Um, Just the right and, amount. Just the right amount. And... Um, and two days after my discharge from the hospital, I, against the reluctance of my family and the disapproval of some friends, 
I went ahead with the previously scheduled um, great book launch at Flyleaf Books. It was where your book a, is available. Where the book is, Flyleaf, my book is everyone. My book is available anywhere books are sold, including Flyleaf. Um, and I'm doing okay. Um, yep. the, the book launch was greatly successful and warmed my heart. And I'm not sure if that's a, a metaphoric or a literal usage. It was a, a great event. It gave me something to look forward to. Having the book out now continues to give me something to look forward to. Um, considering I was dead, um, this is much better. And now you are no longer. Well, and I by the way, no I'm sure that what gave your family some confidence is that Dr. Young attended the book launch. And from Neil's point of view, he won't say this himself. More importantly, he bought a book at his book launch. <laughs> um, and, and you know, this is a seal of approval you just don't get every day. You know, leading cardiologists recommend uh, building well, a better boomer by Neil often. Well, as I said to... Um... To Dr. Young, and I, I said at the book launch, I know that this is a crass, blatant publicity stunt, having a heart <laughs> attack and dying before the book is released. But it worked, you know. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm know, getting listen, all the sympathy votes. You listen, I'll just tell you, I've written a book and I just wasn't willing to, you know, I wasn't committed to the cause to, to be willing to do what you did, Neil, which is why your book will sell many more copies than mine. And we all know why now. Well, I, I will tell you, as as useful as the heart attack has been in promoting my book, <laughs> you know, um, you know, all things being equal, you know, I'd rather rather not. I'm sure you would have preferred going door to door and personally asking every single person at Chapel Hill to buy it. I, you know, I would beg, I would and, beg them. Which would also indicate that you were able to go door to door and ask every single person to buy it, which would be great also. So we're going to talk more with Neil about his book, Building a Better Boomer, which is now in bookstores, uh, readily available at Flyleaf and everywhere fine books are sold. We're going to come right back with Neil often. Don't go away. You're listening to The Weekend Water Cooler on 97.9 The Hill. Okay, we're back with Neil Offen, the author of Building a Better Boomer. Tell me how you got the idea for this book. So I have been writing humor columns uh, for about four decades um, in two uh, in two. So you're continents. still in training, is that what you're saying? Yeah. Right. And um, a couple of years ago, I started to notice that a lot of the columns I was writing had sort of a similar theme they were how people our age people who are baby boomers born between the years 1946 and 1964 um, how they are dealing with a world of um, technology of fruits and vegetables that we don't know how to pronounce you know <laughs> is it quinoa i'm not sure um yeah. And, you know, dealing with lots and lots of advice about we need to sleep better, we need to exercise better, we need to retire better, we need to um, sleep and, and um, uh, do all these things. You know, all of this advice 
and all of the advice is always so obvious. All of the advice is always so banal. Um, and I decided to have fun with all those kinds of advice, like how to prevent falls. Well, you know, take everything in your living room and hammer it to the wall, you know, that kind of thing. And I realized that there was an entire, um, that there was a book there that yeah. uh, all of the, um, all of the columns were sort of designed to tell people of my generation, your generation, Gene, yeah. um, how to um, how to live better, um, and how to have a little fun about everybody making fun of boomers with okay boomer jokes and right. and and stuff like that. Um, if they're going to make fun of us the least I can do is make fun of us and, ourseles. Yeah. And maybe make a buck on that. You know, I, I always thought that my grandmother would, you know, sometimes I'm watching some of this stuff, exactly the things you're talking about and thinking about my grandmother, because my grandmother, my mother's mother uh, got a degree from Cornell, which was unusual in her generation in home economics. And that woman could take a boot and cook it <laughs> and put the right amount of salt on it and you would eat it and ask for seconds. So she was very, very smart about, about food. I mean, she was, she was what you would call today a foodie. Um, she could cook anything. She was masterful with leftover Turkey from Thanksgiving. She made Turkey croquettes and, Ooh. you know, these wonderful, you know, reinventions of what, what are you doing with a leftover and it, it always amuses me. And my father's father, also an excellent, excellent cook. And it always cracked me up to think of what would they say at someone who is today 25 years old or 30 years old um, with a giant Instagram following or whatever, mm -hmm. saying, I've just discovered the most important thing for you to live a long and healthy life is to eat fresh fruits and vegetables every day, drink plenty of water and get a good night's sleep. And, you know, and, you know, now I'm a health guru. Well, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, I don't know what you think you are, but you're not, you didn't invent anything there. Yeah. I think part of the difference also is that one, we're, we're living longer um, than previous generations, even without. Um, right. The, right. the decrease in in lifespan because of COVID, we're still li living longer than my parents' generation. Yeah. The difference is that when my parents were, I don't know, 55, maybe 60, they were old. Yeah. We're, we we're think not. of ourselves, the totally baby boom generation, yeah. We think of ourselves, you know, forget the number. We're still young. You know, we, we you know, use fp you know um, um sunblock you know that's spf yes. 306 we have we have iphones and we go to the gym and yep. we listen to music mm -hmm. even yet, if we can't hear it very well even if we can't hear it very well that's probably why if, by the way that's probably why we can't hear it very well, well yeah and we don't know taylor swift from uh, the weekend remember the weekend yes. and well i mean 
I I do because I'm a football fan. Okay, well then, then <laughs> you've you've learned it that way. And, yeah. and what what's unique, I think, about the baby boom generation is that we're older. We've been pushed to the side. You know, um, commercials don't want us in their commercials. We don't want to be. You know, we're not the people drinking beer on the beach. And, you know, with lots of tattoos and um, having a great time. That's quite even a though, picture, by the way. Right. Even though they're using our music most yes. of the time. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, you know, we're, we're older. You know, our children don't want us on the dance floor, um, understandably, I think. Not um, with a video running, no. Not yeah. with the video running. And yet we still think of ourselves um, as central characters in in the world you know with it other than politicians it's not true but it's not our perception and so consequently you know we're still running marathons we're still um we're still you know cooking boots um right. we're doing all that stuff <laughs> and we're trying so hard to be younger than we really are we're not fading into into the dust um, like previous generations, we're not sitting back on our Barca lounger and just, you know, watching the Weather Channel. We're actually doing stuff. We are the Weather Channel, buddy. We we may yeah. very well. Uh, we're be. not going to be. We're not going to be. Uh, what's his name, Jim, who's out there in the in the hurricane on the coast, saying it's very very windy and dangerous out here. Don't come out here. Don't be like. Don't do. Don't do what I'm doing. Right. So, you know, we should talk a little bit about the news business in our, in our next segment, because there actually is a very good reason that he's doing that. Um, and, uh, and, and, and we can do that. We, we, we have a lot of experience in the, in the news. Yes, business, we do. Rightly or wrongly. Um, and, and, you know, that's, that's another thing that's uh, transformed in our society. Um, but, you know, what, what everybody needs as their guide to uh to getting through it is uh is neil's book building a better boomer by neil often the 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 uh the the wonderful humorist who picked up where irma bombeck left off i guess i would say irma bombeck here's what i loved about irma bombeck irma bombeck could find a stray sock in the dryer and she could get a column out of that 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 is my ambition as a columnist to be able to say, you know, okay, so we are taking out a search warrant. We're going to turn the house upside down. We're going to find this sock. When you know perfectly well the other, its companion is is in is in the hamper. You know, you just separated them when you did the laundry. But she could get, she could take everyday, ordinary life things like that, and and turn it into a wonderful picture of family life and chasing after your kids and, you know, will dinner make it this time or not? And I, I totally love that about her as a writer. I miss her desperately. I think that's yeah. pretty obvious. Well, well, as, um, as Nora Ephron once memorably said, everything is copy. Exactly. And I think writers, um, you know, I, in my book, building a better rumor, um, <laughs> I, I write about falling and uh, advice about how to prevent falls. Um, and um, 
the reason I wrote about that is I've had some experience with falling. Right. I've 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 fallen going upstairs. I've fallen going downstairs. I've fallen at airports on the um, on the movable sidewalks that don't go anywhere. Um, Except and, that now they go with you on the ground on the yes, conveyor belt. And you know, I remember falling during a uh, a five k race uh, on the Pumpkin Loop. Uh, over in Carolina North Forest a couple of years ago. And I remember lying there as the other runners carefully avoided the blood. But, right, and exactly. They didn't, want, they, they didn't want my body to slow them down. Don't let me get in your way. Yeah. Don't let me get in your way. And, you know, it's part of the camaraderie we runners have. You know? Yeah. Just don't it's step It's an odd me. community. Let's just say it. It's true. And, and you take that kind of stuff and... Um, I thought about all of the um, all of the advice about if as you're as you get older you're more likely to fall. How to avoid falling? And you're supposed to you know tuck your knees in, put your head down, hold your elbows tight, and you're supposed to do all of that in these split seconds. In the fraction of a falling. second that's between you standing up second. and you on the ground. Yeah, right. you know, well, and the and it's it's you know it's a good idea. It's, it's a good it, idea. It's a good concept. What you really have time to do is just kiss your butt <laughs> but goodbye. Put your head between your legs and kiss your butt goodbye. Well, kiss your butt goodbye. well on that note, we're going to take our next break and uh, we're going to we're going to continue on in just a minute talking with Neil Often, author of Building a Better Boomer, a boomer that doesn't fall down. Uh, you're listening to the Weekend Water Cooler on 97.9 The Hill. We'll be right back. Okay, we're back. We're back uh, with with Neil Often, the author of Building a Better Boomer. I I love the alliteration, by the way. And the and the sub the subtitle of your book is this unpronounceable list of uh, alliterative terms. Uh, would you like me? Would you like me to read no, it? Let, let me hear you rattle that off. This is uh, your first uh, memory test. Okay. <laughs> anyway, this this is the subtitle: How to Deal with Bothersome Bodies. Exhausting exercise, memory missteps, terrifying technology, impossible insurance, retirement regrets, foreign foods, and oh yeah, aging. Aging, 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 which is what you did while you were reading that <laughs> subtitle. That is one of the longest subtitles of a book I think I've ever seen. You know, you and I go back. Um, I should I should let everyone know. Neil, I think Neil and I first i don't know when we first met but our families first knew each other when our children my son my younger son rob and your daughter nora went to sycamore preschool together sycamore, wonderful sycamore preschool in, yeah in the early um, 90s and my daughter was born in 89 i think yeah. your son was born yeah, in, rob in is 88 yeah 88 That's i think right. he was one he was one grade above yes yeah, uh, but we knew each. So, what is that we're talking? So, I, think I mean, he's thirty-five now, which is very rude. I don't know. I don't understand how that happened. But no, Nora is thirty-four. Yeah. I don't know how that happened either. Yeah, it's just um, so. I know that Nora started preschool when she was two. Yeah. So let's say that was ninety-one. So we've known each other. I think technically the term is forever. 
Yes, I think that's exactly that is the the specific technical term. Um, we've we've both come come also to run into each other via journalism when when uh, you were the editor, you became the editor of the. Well, I, what did you do? You you missed a meeting and came back and they said, great news. You're the editor of the Chapel Hill Herald. How did that happen? Um, that happened a little bit by chance. Um, the um, I had just started at the Herald. I had been a freelance writer for many years. Yeah. I, my, my background, I had started in newspapers, transitioned right. to freelance writing, uh, wrote a number of books. Yes. Um, wrote for magazines, um, did a lot of those edited magazines. Uh, my wife and I had moved abroad, lived abroad for a, a decade um, where I um, was the editor of a magazine in Paris, a weekly uh, wrote books, um, ghosted a couple of books. Um, and after we came back to the States, I had worked for a number of magazines, um, had worked on WCHL. I had been the news director of WCHL in the early 90s. Oh um, there, are there are probably people who still remember being uh, awakened uh, to me reading uh, <laughs> what the town council had done. Um, anyway, I uh, had finished books, was looking for something more stable, um, went to um, the then editor of the Chapel Hill Herald, suggested I write a column. Um, foolishly, they accepted. I started writing a column. <laughs> from, from that, I ended up covering... Um, schools and right. education for the Herald. And then when the editor um, left, um, a number of people, including the managing editor in Durham, uh, said, you know, do you want to do this? Do, you want, do I want to become editor of the Herald? And not knowing any better, uh, um, I said yes. And I did that, and um, um, and one of the first things I, I did was hire you as a columnist. <laughs> well, listen, we all make mistakes, Neil. And it, it's something I immediately—it's something I immediately regretted. I no, know. I, I didn't at all. Your copy was your copy was always clean. You were always on time, which <laughs> were two aspects of the freelancers who we particularly now appreciate. people people who don't work in journalism should realize that people who can make deadline on a on a regular basis it's, you really don't care what they're saying because yeah. you have those inches of copy an, another term that has disappeared right. <laughs> inches it, of copy um because it used to be folks that you had to care if stuff would fit into a defined and limited space on a piece of paper when um when i started in journalism I, st I started way way back i started as a sports yeah. writer for the new york post and i covered baseball i covered the yankees and the mets and um how could you my, ever leave that job neil often a lot of people wondered um my job was to write 
700 to 800 words every day. Get every them day. in by eight. Get them in by a certain time uh, in the evening, and it didn't matter if nothing had happened. It didn't matter right. if there wasn't a game. It was my responsibility to make that deadline. And it was truly wonderful training and wonderful discipline that it didn't matter if I didn't feel well. It didn't matter if people wouldn't talk to me. It didn't matter if I was traveling 800 words every day. You needed day to have 800 five. words to offer about uh, the fact that you didn't have any idea what the next 750 words would be. But it's great. <laughs> You know, it's um, the great British novelist, Graham Greene, um, once described his work pattern. And his work pattern was he'd get up every morning and he would write longhand. And the first thing he would do would be to copy the last two or three pages that he had written before, the day mm -hmm. before. And just the act of physically writing got right. him into the flow and he was able to each day add to whatever yep. writing he had done before. But yep. he needed he needed that discipline. Right. And, you know, discipline is an underrated value, but not in journalism. It's a very a highly rated value, right. discipline yeah. and making those deadlines. I'm I'm sure I'm sure that you've seen the movie The Post of about course. the Washington Post and the 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 what the, the pentagon papers uh and how the pentagon papers came to lead to other events one of the things that i adore about that movie i think it's a pretty good movie the thing that makes it unforgettable to me is i think that it is a thing of beauty to document the labor intensive process of bringing something from the reporting stage into print because i just don't think without seeing it people today if you're 30 years old today i just don't think you can realize the huge amount of work that was involved that technology has taken over and eliminated those jobs including taking character by character and setting it up in the press and 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 where the term uppercase came from and lowercase and setting it all, setting all of this type to in, in typesetting, setting it up in the, in this, in the machine that's going to print yeah. it and the doing it backward machine. and like, and like Ginger Rogers, right. Doing it backwards because that's yeah. how it's going to work in offset printing. It's just a thing of beauty to watch that process to me. Doing it backwards is actually almost literally the case because when headlines were put in the block of a right. newspaper, you had to read them upside down backwards. Right. Because that, that was how they were put in for the presses. Right. Yeah. And um, these are skills that obviously are completely unnecessary and right. lost. And, and yeah, uh, that's right. And the and, and they're lost and nobody's looking for them. And nobody's looking for them, but they are remembered fondly, at least by by us. Uh, yeah, yeah, because, you know, because we're old and we're we're working on building a better boomer. We're talking to Neil Offen, the author of book uh, the book of the same title. And uh, we're going to be right back in just a moment. You're listening to The Weekend Water Cooler on 97.9 The Hill.
Okay, we're back with uh, Neil Often for our our closing moments. Um, Neil, uh, you know, as you as you, as, what was the most surprising thing when you wrote your book? As you go through your your chapters are um, uh, appropriately enough. The the first big section is that aging it's not for everyone. I I you know part of that idea is that uh, as my son puts it. Aging, he says, he's very philosophical, this one. He says, aging is a privilege denied to many. And that's, uh, that's, that's a, a very deep, deep right? thought. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's deep thoughts with Rob Bolduck. Um, it's, it's, it's an important point of view to realize as we, we love to crank about our aches and pains, of course, all of us. And uh, my husband has... Uh, uh, many uncles in his family who didn't have the nightmare of what do you do after you're 50 years old? And uh, so, yeah, it is uh, having these problems of aging. This, these are privileged problems. Yeah. Um, no, these are, and these are, let's be frank. These are to a large degree, first world problems. Yes. Um, yes. You know, life, but as, as we were saying before, life expectancy in general we are living longer than our parents. We are living longer than our grandparents. One of the great, we were talking about journalism, one of the great untold stories of the last century of journalism is that from the beginning of the 20th century to now, life expectancy has increased 25%. That's unheard of in I human I mean, that's history. amazing, isn't it? Yeah. That's, you know, I mean, a lot of that is because children aren't dying in infancy from preventable diseases. Right. Um, we, you know, we have so much spectacular medical technology that can keep um, people alive. What's changed, I think, with, with boomers is not just that we're living longer. We're also living better. We're That's able right. to do more and want to do more. So the quality of life. You know, our parents and our grandparents' generation, they were content to sit and listen to the radio and maybe go for a walk after dinner and make sure they got the, you know, got to the early bird special. You know, we're traveling all over the world. We're running marathons. We're cooking. We're playing on the stock market. We're doing all these things that previous generations didn't have the time to do and didn't have the interest and the ability to do. So I mean, it, it, it does create, you know, a, a separate problem. I guess you could, I, I'll call it a problem for lack of a better term, a, a, another situation, which is social, social security. When social security was uh, put into place in the thirties. Right. Um, FDR. It was not expected that you would be receiving Social Security for 25 years. Yeah. It was, you know, a lot of people got to retirement age at 65 and they maybe had another decade on Social yeah. Security. If that they is, were lucky. That is, that, yeah, if they were lucky. And I mean, you know, people in those in those years use their bodies to earn a living much more. Than, than we do now, which is another thing that creates unexpected consequences. But um, 
but you know how the how that's funded and whether or not you run out of money before you run out of life is a whole other uh set of problems that are I, you know i think are good let's have that problem that's okay with me i mean mm -hmm. i think that our kids will not be unreasonable and certainly my grandchildren will not be unreasonable for them to expect to live to 100 and have a good quality of life until they're 100 years old they can replace their joints if they if they wear them out i've replaced two of mine uh rick has replaced one of his and you know you can get any number of things uh replaced transplanted uh, eyes major organs um, you have management of chronic diseases. These are, as as you say, these are many, many things that, that took out people, lots and lots of people as a matter of routine just two generations ago. And so what will it be when my six-year-old grandson is 50 years old, you know, and what will he expect of his body and his mind when he gets to that age? He might be thinking, well, okay, so now is the time that I'll start my third career. That's the other thing is that when our parents started working, when my father started working in his job, he was expected to have that one job and that occupation for his whole career. And nobody expects that now. I, who expects that? No, nobody expects to be in the same job. Nobody expects to be in the same place. Right. Nobody, nobody expects, um, nobody expects to not have time. I remember an old newspaper colleague of mine, this was years ago, saying her retirement plan was continue working and then die. Um, you know, where this was somebody of a, an older generation. Um, you well, know, it's good to keep it in that order, though, I have to point out. Right. We're so incredibly fortunate we know people who have been able to retire when they can physically go climb um, the inca trail to go to machu picchu where they can i have friends right now who are spending the month in australia now obviously all of these people have enough affluence that they right. are able to do it. And many, many people, most people do not, but a good number do. And a good number have both the time and the means and the desire to do all of that. And that's, that's something that simply did not exist for previous generations. Or if it did, it was for such a small number of people that it was, you know, not right, significant. Right. Now, now lots of people my age, lots of people your age are able to live a second stage of life that yeah. didn't exist, um, you know, 40 years ago. Right. I, I mean, I, you know, as a, when I was a child, my, my paternal grandparents, both retired teachers, re retired in their mid sixties. My grandfather continued doing some private tutoring after that. But but overall, I mean, they were retired. They both lived well past 90, uh, which was what a great thing for me that I yeah. got to have my grandparents for all of those years. And and certainly I hope that my grandchildren will, I mean, they. so my grandparents were my age right now, I'm 65. And, you know, they 
they had they had a great time. I mean, they they took us places and, you know, we used to go and visit my grandmother's my grandmother's cousin, you'll enjoy this, lived on Walker's Point in Maine, mm. next door to the bushes. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, so we would go out to her house at Kennebunkport. She had this beautiful, huge uh, place and uh, an old, old house that I think was uh, from before her. Uh, I think she inherited that house. And she had um, at her house something I've never seen before or since. She had a swimming pool, which why do you have that in Maine anyway? She's right on the ocean, but she had a swimming pool that was out on the water. You'd overlook the ocean and be at her swimming pool. It was a fresh saltwater fed swimming Ooh. pool. Very buoyant. You know, and I thought, why would you do that? It's the ocean. Why are you bringing the ocean into a swimming pool? Well, you know, in Maine, as you know, it's it's a lot of rocks. It's you're not you're not sitting there on the beach. You'd be sitting on rocks. And you don't have to deal with the waves. Not so many sharks in the pool either. Yeah. Yeah. Not sharks in the pool. So yeah. No waves. It's you know, if you can do it, you know, if you can do it. And that's that's sort of true in general of of our generation that if you can do it if you have the means and even if you don't have the means we're just much more um you know we we listen to music we go to concerts yeah we we do things that um truly previous generations couldn't imagine they were content with being old we're not that content right. with being no, old. No. We still think of ourselves as young. Well, and we're still, you know, we're still, thank goodness, Neil, often, uh, you and I and my husband, uh, we're still, we're, we're still in progress. We're, you know, this is a, this is a work in progress. And, 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 and Neil often's work is that he's building a better boomer. And so you need to, you need to go to Flyleaf Books or wherever fine books are, sto- are sold and get yourself a copy of this book. And if you contact Neil, um, which I'm sure you can do, you can always find Neil often. He'll sign it for you. Come on. He'll sign it for you. You don't even have to be a cardiologist. I was going to say, you don't have to um, understand my handwriting. It's mostly illegible. It's it's just like being a doctor. Okay. Well, listen, Neil, that's our time. And uh, thanks for, thanks for joining. And uh, thanks for writing the book. And, and, you know, I'm just going to tell you, when you write your next 10 books, you're going to need to come on the weekend water cooler and share you know, your information. Gene, I promise I will be. I, I really each, appreciate each, each of those 10. And I have I that on it. the record. So I'm going to tell everybody, listen, if you're going out this weekend, be safe. You know the rules. And if you're staying in, keep it right here on 97.9 The Hill. Follow Gene on Twitter at Gene Bolduck and tweet your comments and questions with the hashtag WCHL.